Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It's great to be with you another Tuesday evening. We continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers. I know last week I talked up uh, this Tuesday's program as we were going to engage St. Gregory of Narc. I was going to do this with George Wing. Um, He was unable to join me this evening, so we will hold up on St. Gregory of Narc. We will take him up next week. And so what I've decided to do today was to continue our normal reflections moving through these key figures. So this week we are up to St. Peter Damien. And again, I'm primarily drawing from Benedict XVI's reflections in his Wednesday audiences, in his Wednesday catechesis on the Church Fathers. So who was St. Peter Damien, this most important 11th century figure? Well, St. Peter Damien was a monk, a lover of solitude, and at the same time, a fearless man of the Church, uh, committed personally to the task of reform initiated by the popes of the time. And I really do emphasize fearless because this really does come out just not in his biography, but certainly in his works as well. You know, this whole idea of being fearless is so important for us today. So many of us are full of fear. We fear what we do not know. We fear what we do not see. And there's an entrapment in that, huh? We're not free to be the person who God is calling us to be. And maybe worse yet, we slip into this fear of missing out on what the world has to offer. We get so wrapped up in secularism, the busyness of secularism, needing to be a part of this or that, that the world has to offer. We don't fear on missing out on the potential of the yet unseen. We don't fear on missing out on what God wants us to do. And in the end, I think this is the great tension inside of all of us, is it not? Are we going to spend extra hours watching this television program or playing that video game or maybe spending too many minutes on Facebook versus being out there serving the poorest of the poor, being out there evangelizing, catechizing? We have to break through that tension. And St. Peter Damien teaches us in his fearlessness, what it means to break through that tension. This is very important. Okay, so by way of just a snapshot, biographically speaking, he was born in Ravenna in 1007, okay, so early 11th century, into a noble family, but in straitened circumstances, huh? He was left an orphan, and his childhood was not exempt from hardships and suffering. Although it's interesting, his sister Rosalinda tried to be a mother to him, and his elder brother Damien actually adopted him as his son. So Damien actually comes from the name of his older brother. He was educated uh, at Parma, where already at the age of 25, we find him involved in teaching. As well as a good grounding in the field of law, 
he acquired a refined expertise in the art of writing, which certainly will play itself out in the course of his life. So, he distinguished himself in the widest range of literary forms, from, from letters to sermons, from poems to epigrams to prayers. His sensitivity to beauty led him to poetic contemplation of the world, and this just this really comes through in his writings. You know, Peter Damien conceived of the universe as this kind of never-ending parable and a sequence of symbols on which to base the interpretation of the inner life and divine and the whole supernatural reality. In this perspective, in approximately the year 1034, so at the age of 27, contemplation of the absolute of God impelled him gradually to detach himself from the world and from its transient realities and to withdraw to the monastery of Fonte Avalana, which of course at that point had quickly become uh, quite popular. Now, one detail should be uh, emphasized here, that the hermitage uh, at Fonte Avalana was dedicated to the Holy Cross, and the cross was the Christian mystery that was to fascinate St. Peter Damien more than all the others. In one particular sermon, he says, you know, those who do not love the cross of Christ do not love Christ. You know, he described himself as Peter, the servant of the servants of the cross of Christ. This is how he saw himself. So you can begin to imagine the kind of heart he had for just not those on the margins, but ultimately for all of those around him, because he called himself the servant of the servants. St. Peter Damien would address the most beautiful prayers to the cross, in which he reveals a vision of this mystery which has, we could say, cosmic dimensions, for it embraces the entire history of salvation. And I'm thinking of one in particular, and Benedict XVI highlights this. He says, O blessed cross, you are venerated, preached, and honored by the faith of the patriarchs, the predictions of the prophets, the senate of apostles that judges, the victorious army of martyrs, and the throngs of all the saints. That being said, in the spirit of St. Damien, and this focus on the cross, I thought I would share a brief reflection as it relates to just not the cross, but the wood beams of the cross. This reflection for me initially came out of a viewing of the passion of Christ. And so, while reflecting upon the importance of the wooden beams, I was drawn to the person of Christ as the fulfillment of so many great events in salvation history and the different woods of God, per se, the different woods of the master carpenter. Consider with me, if you will. In the case of Adam, we have the apple hanging from the wooden branch. huh? In the case of Noah, we have the ark built from gopher wood. In the case of Adam, we have the wood that Isaac would carry at Mount Moriah as kindling for the burnt offering. In the case of Moses, we have as part of the Passover prescription the wooden doorposts and lintel that would be stained with the blood of the Lamb. In the case of David, we have the Ark of the Covenant, of course, made of acacia wood that would be carried to Jerusalem. 
And how about the great prophecy, my friends, of Isaiah on the coming of the Messiah, where we have the imagery of a branch shooting out from the roots of the stump of Jesse, and that the Spirit of God will rest upon him. Wood, no doubt, has left its impression on the canvas of salvation history. It is right that God would use the very thing that was the instrumental cause and loss of grace, that is apple hanging from a branch, and play a significant role in the major events of the Old Testament to be the instrument used in the restoration of grace. In other words, just as wood was used to build the ark that would save the household of Noah safely through the waters of the flood, so are we to drink from the spring of water welling up to eternal life that pours out from the side of Christ on the cross. Just as Isaac carried wood on his back up a mountain, so Christ, the new Isaac, carried wood up Golgotha as an obedient response to his father. Just as the Israelite faithful stained the horizontal and vertical wood beams with the blood of the Lamb, so does Christ, the new Lamb of God, stain the horizontal and vertical beams of wood on the cross. Just as David would carry the wooden ark that held the presence of God into Jerusalem, so Jerusalem would be the definitive place where we go to behold the presence of God on the cross in the passion and death of Christ. In regards to the prophecy of Isaiah, it's interesting. The word Nazareth comes from a Hebrew root meaning branch. Indeed, Christ is the branch shooting forth from the line of Jesse. Collectively, my friends, we are made to see that wood in salvation history has always pointed to death and life. Where a branch, gopher wood, kindling doorposts, and acacia wood would all play unsuspecting parts in the drama of God's love affair with man, ultimately pointing towards its crescendo in the wood of the cross. If you think of it, the irony is rich. The carpenter of the world who in becoming man learns the human trade of carpentry now finds himself renewing the world from the wood of the cross. The symbol of the cross that always signified death in Roman antiquity now has a corpus that signifies life, and history has forever changed because of it. We read from the Office of Readings, that great line that comes to us from week one, Antiphon one, see how the cross of Christ stands revealed as the tree of life. The wood of the cross once alive, growing and strong, itself dies. Only, my friends, to be used once again by the master carpenter to bring us the fullness of life beyond telling. There is no question that one Saint Peter Damien would have such reflection, one that comes out directly from meditating upon the cross. My dear friends, St. Peter Damien should spur us on for a deeper love of the cross. To look at the cross as to the supreme act of love for humankind by God, who has given us salvation. During this season of Lent, we're made to constantly be thinking about the cross and the ways in which Christ loves I was noting earlier this week that great line from St. Bernard of Clairvaux that he would look at the five wounds of Christ and see those five wounds as lips saying to him, I love you. I think that is a powerful reflection for us to look at those five wounds and to have those five wounds actually being the lips of love 
It's a provocative image, one that we need to spend time contemplating, huh? Because this is what crucified love is all about. This is what agape love is all about, that divine, sacrificial, cross-like love. Okay, so St. Peter Damien had a devotion to the cross. Now, this great monk compiled a rule for air medical life in which he heavily stressed the rigor of the hermit. In the silence of the cloister, the monk is called to spend a life of prayer by day and night with prolonged and strict fasting. He must put into practice generous brotherly charity and ever prompt and willing obedience to the prior. This was at the heart of St. Peter Damien's vision. In study and in daily meditation of sacred scripture, St. Peter Damien discovered ultimately but what he would say, the mystical meaning of the Word of God, finding in it nourishment for a spiritual life. We talked about mystical theology a little bit last week. You know, that mystical encounter, that supernatural encounter with Christ that leads to this keen conviction that the supernatural has so much more to provide than the natural, that we are to see the ordinary now in light of the superordinary. Make no mistake about it, you know, mystical encounters with Christ, if they are rare in our lives, they are there, and they are there to form and inform uh, the ordinary, that the ordinary might become superordinary. So in this regard, St. Peter Damien described the hermit's cell as the parlor in which God converses with men. I think this is my favorite phrase of his, the parlor in which God converses with men. For him, living as a hermit was the peak of Christian existence. He said on one account, the loftiest of the states of life. Why? Because the monk, now free from the bonds of worldly life and of and of his own self, receives what? A dowry from the Holy Spirit where his happy soul is united with its heavenly spouse. The words of St. Peter Damien there. Now, this is important for us today as well, huh? I mean, even though we are not monks, to know how to make silence within us, to listen to God's voice, to seek, as it were, a parlor in which God speaks with us, learning the Word of God in prayer and in meditation is the path to life, is it not? We are to enter into that classroom of silence and allow God to speak to us. We cannot hear God, listen to God in the noise. It is existentially impossible. When someone is talking to you, you turn off the television, you turn down the radio, right? If you're going to actually have the conversation. So when we go to have a conversation with God, what do we do? We turn down the volume so we can actually listen to him. And remember what the word obedience means, to listen. This is very important. What does the word prayer mean? Precari in the Latin, to ask. If we're going to go to God, asking from him all sorts of things, we need to listen to him and see what he has to say about our requests. And that, my friends, is what you call not only fruitful prayer, but a fruitful conversation with God that will lead to more conversation with God and ultimately more prayer. And we can say, (laughs) St. Peter Damien, who was essentially a man of prayer, meditation, and contemplation, was also, in the words of Benedict XVI, a fine theologian.
For example, we see this in his uh, writing and teaching on the Trinity. He expresses with clarity and a certain liveliness the Trinitarian doctrine as he makes it personal under the guidance of uh, biblical uh, texts and, and, of course, the texts that come to us from the Church Fathers. He takes some of those fundamental terms that up to that point defined the Trinity for over 700 years, and he begins to apply them so that we might be able to better understand the mystery of God. He takes such words as procession, relation, and person, and puts them in terms that can be maybe better contemplated. If the Trinity is that perfect eternal exchange of love shared between the Father and Son, then ultimately what St. Peter Damien wants us to see in its most simplest form is that God is love given, love received, and love shared. And in many ways, this is what is at the heart of St. Peter Damien's Trinitarian vision. For St. Peter Damien, his meditation on the figure of Christ had significant practical effects since the whole of sacred scripture is centered on him. As St. Peter Damien notes, through the pages of sacred scripture, the Jews bore Christ on their shoulders, as it were. Therefore, Christ, he adds, must be the center of the monk's life. He would go on to say, may Christ be heard in our language, may Christ be seen in our life, may he even be perceived in our hearts. My dear friends, intimate union with Christ engages not only monks, but all the baptized. Here we find a strong appeal for us, not to allow ourselves to be totally absorbed by the activities, problems, and preoccupations of every day, forgetting that Jesus must truly be the center of our life. My dear friends, I think it would be good here to pause and to emphasize the importance of spiritual theology. In spiritual things, we just don't look at it. We look into it, through it, beyond it, and in doing so, see the reality that is behind it. Huh? If we are in a living relationship with Jesus Christ, what we find providentially is how God works in and through each and every encounter, where we don't see our encounters, our everyday encounters, as just another encounter, but an encounter that has been designed by God from the beginning of time. We see each encounter. We look into it, through it, beyond it, behind it, so as to better understand the ways in which God wants to reveal himself to you through that particular person. When we begin to apply the principles of spiritual theology to our encounters, we have an unveiling, an unveiling of how God desires to draw us deeper into his love through those whom we meet. This is why it is so important not to be so absorbed by the activities, problems, and preoccupations of our everyday life. This is the lesson that comes to us from the words of St. Peter Damien. He has another theological reflection, which I just absolutely love. He says, the church is rightly called the one bride of Christ in the singular, and each chosen soul through the sacramental mystery is considered fully church. This is important, not only that the whole universal church should be united, but that the church should be present in her totality, 
in each and every one of us. Thus, the service of the individual becomes an expression of the church in its totality. I tell you what, my friends, when you think about this, we have an extraordinary responsibility as sons and daughters of God to not only bear witness to the truth, but everywhere and anywhere give glory to God in and through His church, because we are church. And this kind of truth, as it begins to emerge when you read the biblical text and certainly the church fathers, reminds us, again, of the awesome responsibility we have to love and to bear witness to the greatness of Christ's love. Amen to that. Now, all of that being said, as Benedict XVI highlights, <laughs> the ideal image of Holy Church illustrated so beautifully by not only Peter Damien in his writings, but also his life, did not correspond, as he knew well, to the reality of his time. There was a great deal of vice among the clergy. Uh, There's a great deal of corruption. And for this reason, he did not fear, and this is the fearlessness, if you will, that I was talking about earlier. He did not fear to denounce the state of corruption that existed in the monasteries and among the clergy. Above all, the practice of the conferral by the lay authorities of ecclesiastical offices. Uh, Various bishops and abbots were behaving as the rulers of their subjects rather than as pastors of souls. This bothered St. Peter Damien deeply. Their moral life frequently left much to be desired. And for this reason, in 1057, Peter Damien left his monastery with great reluctance and sorrow and accepted, if unwillingly, his appointment as Cardinal Bishop of Ostia. So it was that he entered fully into collaboration with the popes in the difficult task of church reform. He had seen in the end that contemplation was not enough and had to forego the beauty of contemplation in order to provide his own help in the work of the church's renewal. We have seen this before, have we not? With some of the church fathers that we have already discussed, this deep, deep desire to remain a contemplative, but understand that there was need for reform, and so that the contemplative ultimately would leave to be more a part of the active life of the church. So, St. Peter Damien here is in the stead of a great number of other saints. So, he relinquishes the beauty of the hermitage and courageously undertakes numerous journeys and missions. But, Ten years later, because of his love for monastic life, in 1067, he would ultimately return, obtaining permission to return to uh, the first monastery he was at, Fonte Avalana, and ultimately resigned from the Diocese of Ostia. However, there was still the need for him to be a part of the active life of the church. That tranquility he had longed for did not last long. Because two years later, he was sent to Frankfurt in another very pastoral moment to prevent the divorce of Henry IV from his wife, Bertha. And two years after that, he went to Monte Cassino for the consecration of the Abbey Church and at the beginning of 1072 to Ravenna 
to reestablish peace with the local archbishop. And it was on the journey home to his hermitage, from that last encounter to reestablish peace, that he experienced an unexpected illness, which obliged him to stop at the Benedictine Monastery in Fienza. And it was there that he died uh, on the night of February 22nd, 1072. My dear friends, we can say that it is a great grace that the Lord should have raised up in the life of the church a figure as exuberant, rich, and as Benedict XVI describes him, complex as St. Peter Damien. Moreover, it is rare to find theological works and spirituality as keen and vibrant as those of the hermitage at Fonte Avellana. St. Peter Damien was a monk through and through with forms of austerity which to us today might even seem excessive. Yet in that way, he made monastic life an eloquent testimony of God's primacy and appeal to all to walk towards holiness, free from any compromise with evil. We haven't really talked about it this evening, but certainly you see this come through time and time again in his writings, the importance of battling Satan, his conviction to fast, his conviction to take on suffering was his conviction to overcome the temptations of the adversary. Be rest assured of that. And we are to take stock in this, because if we are to overcome the adversary, like Christ and like all of those who followed him, we must fast and do so with a heart for love. St. Peter Damien spent himself with lucid consistency and great severity for the reform of the church of his time. He gave all his spiritual and physical energies to Christ and to the church, but always remained, as he would like to describe himself, the lowliest servant of the monks. Remember what we talked about earlier. He saw himself as the servant of the servants of the cross of Christ, and he also saw himself as the lowliest servant of the monks. And in this way, he teaches us his last lesson for this evening that above all rests the great virtue of humility, that if he was so lucid, so firm, so strong, so clear, so resistant, if he embodied all of these heroic virtues, then he did so because of the great virtue of humility. He was able to overcome all of the heartache, all of the pain, all that comes with one who lives a saintly life because he was humble. And this is what we have to be thinking about as we wrap up our time together in prayer, that above all, he teaches us how to be humble. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.